shall we pray? Almighty God, you ordered the universe itself. You know all things on heaven and earth, and yet you pause to hear us pray. Oh, Lord, your love is ever faithful, even when our love fails. Lord, grant us wisdom that we may hear your voice, discern your voice among the chaos that we've invited into our lives. Lord, still our soul, that we may feel your peace. Lord, we give you thanks for this country, this place we live and we know is struggling right now, but we also know that you are with us. And for that, we have hope. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the doctors and the nurses and all those caregivers and emergency responders that are helping us through this pandemic time. Lord, it's been so hard to see our shelves empty. And yet we know that we are so much more blessed than so many parts of the world. So help us see through this and that when things go back to normal, and Lord, I pray that they do, that we can step forward and be a help to all those that have empty shelves of their own. Lord, we lift up those who are mourning. They need your comfort, your love. They need our support, whether it is just to walk along beside them, to hear, to pray. Lord, we lift up the children as plans are being made for school, and we don't know quite yet what that is going to look like, but Lord, the children need your love and our support. Be with the teachers as we move in this direction. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling, who are oppressed, for those who are disadvantage for those who are scorned because of this color of their skin or their ethnicity or Lord because of the uniform that they wear. There's so much need out there and we lift it all up to you. Lord forgive us for those times that we act inappropriately and fail to let you be our God. Give us strength that, that we may continue to serve however you see fit. Give us clarity of vision that we may see your path before us and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And give us a clean heart that we may leave behind all that holds us back, all that hinders us, all that baggage we carry around, Lord, let us leave it behind, that we have space in our heart for joy, for peace, and for love. Hear us, Lord, as we join in one voice in the prayer that bears your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we turn to our scripture for today, I have chosen a passage out of the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. I'll be sticking to in uh, chapter 5 today. But the Sermon on the Mount comes both in Matthew and Luke right after Jesus starts his public ministry. So it's early on. He goes up the mountain and he sees the crowds and he calls the disciples to him and he sits down and he teaches them. The older versions say he opens his mouth. He opened his mouth and taught. Now that sounds redundant, but the Greek word that is used for open your mouth at that point is for something very serious and very important. And to sit down, he was talking to a mostly Jewish audience, and they would have clearly understood the rabbis sat down when they were in their official capacity. So this was a sign of how serious and how important the conversation was to be. I lift up to you verses 13 through 15. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. May God add his blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the living of his word. Now, there are a lot of reasons to build a city on a hill. Because I know some of you have been to Masada. It, it was way up on a hill. It was hard to get to for the enemy. You had an amazing view. It's not got flood up there. And it's a, a type of protection you know, before airplanes, if you were up high, you were protected. You could see your enemy coming at Masada. They threw rocks down on them. So there were a lot of reasons besides the view to have a city on a hill. The terminology, a city on the hill, I believe that's the wind interfering with my mind. There's a, a lot of terminology. Uh, or the terminology city on a hill, has been used for this land, both as a colony, as the colonies, and then as the United States. In 1630, when Jonathan, John Winthrop was coming over 
uh, on the ships, I think there were about a thousand immigrants on uh, multiple ships coming to this country. And he delivered a sermon on, on the one that he was on called A Model of Christian Charity about his hopes and his dreams for this land. He wanted justice and mercy for all. He wanted above all an overriding law of love for neighbor. He wanted, he knew that we would be a city on a hill. Now that can be a shining example or that could be something out there for people to watch fail. It works both ways. And above all, he wanted to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of hope for this land. Now, JFK pulled excerpts of that sermon out and used it in talking about the United States. George W. Bush used it, uh, Ronald Reagan, and even when he was Senator, Barack Obama also referred to this as a city on a hill. And when I first found out I was going to be preaching, on the day after the 4th, I got excited because I've had a lot of fun with Independence Day over the years. We've celebrated freedom in Christ and freedom in this country and all the patriotic songs. Well, that was in the time of COVID, but before George Floyd and the riot and the protests and all that's gone on since. And as it got closer, it got harder and harder for me. I love this land, and I believe it's resilient. I believe we'll come back stronger and smarter. But I had to remind myself that my beacon of hope is not in any government. It's not in any leader. It's in Jesus Christ himself. And so I reread the scripture I had chosen in a different light. Chapter 5 of Matthew starts out with the Beatitudes. You know them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And on, there's ten verses there. Now, that's a whole sermon series in itself. But I just want to lift up a word out of that. Blessed. Now, blessed or blessed is a very special word. It means endowed with God's favor and protection to be made holy. Wow. That's a, that's a really big, important word. But the Greek word that is translated blessed is makarios. And that has even a little bit more meaning behind it, besides what blessed means. Sometimes, maybe you've read a version that said, happy are those that mourn, and I think, how's that work? Well, Makarios, that's not a really good pronunciation uh, translation of it, because Makarios uh, has been used as happy, uh, referring to the island of Cyprus is called the Happy Isle. But you know that the English translation loses something because happy comes, has the root word hap, H-A-P, which means by chance. And actually the happiness they see in Cyprus has nothing to do with chance. It has to do 
with God's blessings upon it, it's self-contained. When you're at Cyprus, you need nothing else. Everything you need is there. The, the food is plentiful. The view is beautiful. You know, it's just kind of a place to be yourself. And it's like they had a little secret in them that had nothing to do with the world around us. Now, when you think of Makarios in that way, you begin to understand why those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, are still blessed. Because when you have Jesus Christ in your life, there's something in you, a love, a light, that can't be snapped out by circumstances around you. It's not chance, it's a gift from God. So that word is very special. And right after Jesus shares this with the disciples, he goes into the verses, for you are salt and light. Now this is an amazing compliment. In John 9, 5, we hear Jesus say, while I am with you, I am the light of the world. And here he's saying, you are the light of What a compliment that you can be like Jesus. Wow. Now he also says we're salt. And the salt that he was talking about here, with the, when it loses its, its uh, saltiness, it can be thrown out. They used to use salt under the outside fires to help retain the heat. And you could use it over and over and over again. But eventually, it lost the ability to hold heat. And they would throw it away, discard it, often in the drives to be trampled by men. But salt in itself is so precious. For them, it meant purity. Salt was often offered with uh, the sacrifices that were offered to God. It's a preservative. It made food last. And it's a seasoning. It gives a little kick to the flavor, in a good way, of food. I want to turn to Colossians here. Um, Colossians 4, 6. Where Paul is talking, and he said, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. We're going to be thinking about that as we talk about how we can be light. Light itself, although you don't see it here, you only see it when it's reflected off of something. I was watching the moon last night. Did anybody see that? It was gorgeous, a gorgeous full moon. But to look at that moon and know that it doesn't have any light itself, it's the reflection of the sun. It's making it so bright and so beautiful. And the audience Jesus was talking to, mostly Jews, would have understood what that meaning was, a city on a hill, and a light to the nations, because Jerusalem was considered a city on a hill and a light to the Gentiles. But any Jew also knew that that light didn't come from them. 
it came from God. And that's what made it so special. So Jesus' words were chosen so carefully, so specially. Four years ago at this time, I had traveled to Mallorca with my son and his family. John refuses to fly, so he didn't go. And it was just beautiful. It's an island in the Mediterranean off of Spain. And, you know, surrounded by oceans, surrounded mountains and cities on mountains. And, and there at Palma, the main town, was just meant to be lived in and enjoyed. The, there were open-air restaurants down the middle of the street under trees. And it was gorgeous. But every once in a while, you would see the sign that said, tourists, go home. Now, I know what they were trying to say. We like it here. We've got it good. This is so nice. We don't need you to come in and spoil it for us. They had a secret that they wanted to keep secret. Now, Jesus would never tell us to turn away outsiders. But he can relate, and he has given us that special ability, that special meaning inside of our lives that sometimes we may feel that we don't need anyone but him. I want to lift up a marketing tool that, that Greencroft has, and I'm not, I don't have any experience with the living there. I have not had any family member there, so I'm not saying, oh, go to Greencroft. But I, a marketing tool that I see that is so cool, we live in Keystone Point, which uh, backs up to the Greencroft Park uh, property off of Deerdorf. And at, at our community building, they put up, invitations to come to different things, card games and exercises and, and different things to come to see what they've got going on. You know, they don't say anything about moving there, but I think they want you to see what they got going on so that maybe someday. And Keystone Point is, is a community for active older adults, so we're like one step <laughs> from Green Crop. And... <laughs> Do you, do you disagree, Idina? <laughs> she, Idina is my neighbor. And um, they made a path between the houses that back up to Greencroft. And then through their field, it's empty now, I'm sure it'll be developed someplace. But they made this path that just is inviting to walk back there and see what they've got. And then as you walk around their community... They have this beautiful park with ponds and covered bridges and windmills and woods. And you can just walk through it. And I've been waking up early, not by choice, but I've been waking up early. And as soon as it gets daylight, I go for a walk because it's cooler then. And it is so gorgeous out there. I just want to stay. As a matter of fact, sometimes I do sit down in their pavilion. I think that is how Jesus wants us to be as Christians. To be inviting, to show the outside world what we've got, how good it is, 
how much we've got going for us, so they want some of what we have. That's where our light is so important. When you're filled with Christ, there should be no room for gloom. Oh, I know that doesn't always come easy. I've been there myself. But that is Christ's intent for us to have that joy and that light within that shines to others. We have a lot going on in this country right now and around the world. But it just breaks my heart how angry and divided this country is right now. And I don't think the answer comes in government. Now, we have our right to uh, vote for who we want, to make changes as we see fit. But I think Jesus wants the, the, the answer to be with you and with me. Now, there's political division. And we get down to name-calling and down-putting. Where can we show light in that? For me, I remind myself that both parties have the same goal. I truly believe, there might be some exceptions, but I truly believe that both parties want the best lives for the most people. And one party sees that as, as sharing the wealth. And another party sees that as building up business so that the jobs are plentiful and, the, and people can, can make their way and improve their lifestyle. But the goal is the same. And I think once we acknowledge that our goal is the same, we just disagree on how to get there. I think then we can stop the name calling and the hate. This world is ravaged by a pandemic and some people don't think it's all that real well i had a friend from topeka die we know how georgia has struggled with that my former doctor before we moved to goshen i went to dr john egley in topeka he was in the hospital at, at fort wayne for weeks struggling with covid struggling for his life He's, he was in, moved to LaGrange Hospital. He's doing better, thank God. A wonderful religious man. It's real, and it's affecting us and our families and the world. How can we bring light there? Being there for each other, we can't go. We may not be able to go to the nursing homes. We can call. We can wear masks. To show each other that we love and care about you. We don't want this to go any further. We want it to end. And we can show support for the health care providers and those emergency responders and those who are out with the people risking their own health that they may be sick. There's light that can be given. You know, it's so hard for me to see the empty shelf at Martin, that whole row of paper products was empty. And I was upset, and then I realized that there are places in the world where that's the norm. And I felt blessed, but I also felt responsible to provide food for those that don't have it. The world struggles 
still struggle with racism. I can't believe that after all these years it's still alive and well, but it is. Occasionally it even comes out of the church, the last place it belongs. But I have most of my contacts on Facebook are connected with churches, people connected with churches, and occasionally I see comments on there that have no place. And occasionally I get e forwarded emails that have no place. So how can we shed light on this? We have ethnic, ethnically blended families in this congregation, and we need to make this world safer for them, for those children when they grow up, that they don't need to be afraid of being treated differently. It starts right here with letting our light shine with removing all of that. I watched a wonderful video. It was an older interview from Freeman Morgan and Dan Rather. And Freeman Morgan, a black actor, said, the way you stop racism is to stop talking about it. You stop calling me a black man and I'll stop calling you a white man. Now, there are issues that we need to talk about. But we start, need to start looking at each other as children of God rather than by our ethnicity. Because God created us all, and in Genesis he said it was very good. Very good. Let's remember who we are and let our light shine. Sometimes a light need to, needs to serve as a warning. Now, I know some Christians that want to turn over the tables in the temple. Jesus did that. I can do that. I'll get mad and I'll turn over the tables. And I've been there. I've wanted to do that a time or two. But I remind myself I'm not Jesus. And occasionally I'm wrong. My husband may tell you I'm wrong a lot. I like to turn, and I think showing light is back to Colossians, that our conversations be grace-filled and seasoned with salt. So if someone is going someplace that is hurtful, gently, lovingly tell them. If that doesn't change, you may have to go back and be firmer and say, I can't be a part of this. Grace-filled and seasoned with salt. There was a teacher, Frances Alshorn. She was a famous teacher and principal, and she said whenever she needed to correct a student, she always did it with her arm around them. Now, I don't know in today's school system if we can do that, but what she was saying is do it with love. Do it with grace and season it with salt. Martin Luther King said that darkness cannot conquer darkness. Only light can do that. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. One other instance that I want to lift up is with law enforcement. We saw on TV a law enforcement officer kill someone. 
We saw it time and time again. It was a betrayal of a sacred trust to protect and to serve. And it wasn't a spur of the instant thing. It lasted for eight minutes and 46 seconds. He had plenty of time to realize what he was doing. And it tore my heart out. It tore my heart out because my husband was a police officer for 30 years. My stepson is, has been a police officer for 29. I was a dispatcher for 20 years. I know that these men and women risk their lives to protect you, to help you. I know that with every traffic stop, they don't know what they're getting into as they approach a car and that they, they're risking their lives because it could be someone wanted for murder. It could be someone that wanted death by cop. It could be someone wanted on warrant. Every traffic stop, every warrant they serve, every domestic fight they respond to to help, they risk their lives. And I saw this terrible thing that happened with George Floyd turn into an attack on all police officers. Whenever we do generalizations, we get in trouble. All blank are bad. That's not true. There's a core, a core of messed up people in every profession. But the vast, vast majority of us are good and want what's best. How do we shine light into that? Well, certainly we need um, oversight and accountability for police officers. But defunding them? What they need is further training, further training on um, ethnic issues, on sensitivity issues. I know they get good ta tactical training, but when you defund someone, the agency, the first thing they do is cut training. So how do we sh shed light in that? See what kind of training your local agencies offer. See if they have the funding they need to step it up. See if they have what they need. And thank a police officer because right now, they're feeling hated. And it breaks my heart. You are the light of the world. What Jesus said, not me. He closes in Matthew, uh, closes that portion of Matthew in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What we do is never to glorify us. What we do is to glorify God. As we move into communion today, I'm going to share a little bit, but uh, anytime during this, you can start opening up your little cup here. It peels back. The first time I used one of these, I couldn't find the wafer, but it's in there. There's a little piece of cellophane that peels back, and there's a wafer. And then uh, right below it is the cup. And I'll give you a chance to do that. In the United Methodist Church, we ha celebrate an open table. Communion's open to all the professal of, of God or want to know him closer, want to draw closer to who he is and who we are in him. So regardless of what denomination or non-denomination you come from, you're welcome to join us in communion. There's a hymn that I like. We don't sing it much anymore in the church, 
um, because it, it's the old English, Charles Wesley wrote it, and it's the old kind of English that is kind of awkward now and doesn't go over well with young people at all. But I just love the meaning behind it. I'm going to show that I can't sing, but I'm going to read the first verse to you. The, the song is, And Can It Be, or Amazing Love, either way. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me whom to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Shall we pray? Oh, gracious Lord, you have done so much for us. You have given us so much. Lord, you gave us your life. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be. Help us to see your path and move in that direction. Help us to feel your presence each and every day in our lives. Lord, as we celebrate this Eucharist together, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be redeemed. Help us to be one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>